Welcome to Season 4 of the Law Firm Data Governance Podcast. I'm CJ Anderson, founder of Iron Carrot, the Law Firm Data Governance Specialists. I'm thrilled to have a new season of insights about working with information and data in law firms. Data governance is the key to unlocking your firm's potential. But it's not the only area of data activity that's important for your firm's success. That's why, in this fourth season, I'm delighted to share some of my recent data conversations. My guests this season are thought leaders in their own areas. Each has a unique perspective on the importance of data to law firms. Join us as we talk about capturing, finding, using and governing data in ways that can add meaningful value to the firm's strategy, operational processes and everything in between. So in this episode, I'm really delighted to welcome uh, Tudor Bollier from Calibra. Welcome, Tudor. Hi, CJ. Thank you for having me. So let's start with an easy one, I hope. Um, what's your current role? And can you tell me a little bit about your career journey working with, with data and, and how you got here? Sure. Gosh, where do I start? So uh, currently at Calibra, I'm running the solution engineering team here in the UK. Uh, so we are the people that can listen to the requirements expressed by our customers in, in, in business language. We translate those into technical abilities. We build a prototype solution and maybe demonstrate the value of it in the customer's context. Um, so that's what I do currently. Now, in terms of how I got here, before Calibra, my background is in management consulting. I was doing business transformation and data migration programs for large telecoms providers. I started working at Calibra a bit more than seven years ago, what Clipper does, it offers a system of engagement for data in the enterprise. So we help our customers do more with trusted data, which in effect means being able to find, understand, trust uh, the data they need for their day-to-day business needs. And we have seen tremendous growth in in the past seven years and during my time, at least, um, in the data space. So seven years ago, when I started, we were 100 people and we are now more than 1,000. And the conversation um, I was having seven years ago were mainly with financial services organizations that had to comply with uh, regulations such as BCBS 239, CCAR at the time. Um, And we were educating the market that data is an asset and it needs to be treated as such. Then GDPR came along and suddenly everyone started to realize that if they don't treat data as an asset, it will become a liability. Uh, so, so roughly around that time, 2017, 2018, I started working with law firms, both as customers and as advisors. So from an advisory perspective, I remember uh, working with a boutique law firm initially based in Paris uh, around which aspects of GDPR Calibra was best suited to, uh, to help with. And, and as a result, our first accelerated product uh, for demonstrating GDPR compliance was based on CNIL, the, the, the French Data Protection Authority, um, their requirements. Um, soon afterwards, I took the IAPP uh, Certified Information Privacy Professional um, certification. So I, to do that, I had to study all the 99 articles of, of GDPR. Um, and I, I felt I was becoming a lawyer myself. Uh, so I have a computer science background. And, and this was a bit outside of my, my comfort zone but a well-worth investment. So it gave me a much better understanding of the legal profession and brought me much closer to the internal legal team at Calibra. So to this day, 
I actually work um, work very closely with them. I'm what we call a, a privacy liaison uh, for my department, which means I respond to surveys on a regular basis for our for updating our own Article 30 register, the Register of Processing Activities, identifying new systems or data sets that we're using that may fall under GDPR. So that's kind of a a quick overview of, of my my history, let's put it, and 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 how I I came to to work with law firms. That's amazing. That's that's quite a journey, and it's a a, a great um, level of experience. And and the growth that you've seen uh, leads me to ask: Can you share your thoughts on the direction that data is going in? Yes. No. Definitely. Um, we work with data every day, right? So so um, data has been trending up in terms of organizations and and people's awareness. Uh, I would say, in, in my experience. Again, going back to 2017, I remember The Economist ran an article on their front cover that said, uh, the world's most valuable resource is no longer oil, but data. Uh, and the expression, data is the new oil, uh, had been around for some time uh, already, um, but that's when it actually burst into the public consciousness. Uh, and people still refer to that article today. Um, I, I actually, uh, he, you know, it, it's become part of the, the zeitgeist. And I remember the excitement at the time within Calibra uh, when that article came out. It was a validation of everything we had been talking about for years already. So our, our own version of that at the time was uh, treat data like an asset, which, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the analogy was with money. In the intervening years, I have heard many Many great analogies that expand on on data is the new oil. Um, things like data is like water. It needs to be clean. It needs to be available on tap. Uh, data is like gold because it's a critical material in producing digital goods and, and services. No analogy is perfect. Um, but for me, maybe the one thing I, I particularly don't agree with with, with those, uh, those ones that I mentioned is that they refer to to a finite resource. They compare data to a finite resource. And, and data is the opposite of that. It, you know, more of it can be created every day. You create infinite copies of it. And, and well, with the advent of generative AI, uh, data's importance and value is now starting to get recognized more than ever. Um, and, and in fact, AI models, and in particular LLMs, so large language models, are so hungry for training data that even though we can say, you know, data in general is infinite and unlimited resource, if we talk about good quality data, uh, good quality training data, trusted data sets, then it's a different story. And AI models can gobble up available data so fast at such a rate that companies are starting to look more and more to synthetic data instead, like data that's manufactured that can be then fed to these AI models. So in terms of, to summarize, I, I think, where I see data going is becoming more valuable, but not just any data, good quality data, good trusted data is becoming more and more valuable. And definitely with, with AI, it's, it's value just keeps growing. It's, it's a truly, it's an asset now and everybody recognizes it as such. So with that growth and that trend towards AI, are you seeing an impact in the governance space from this focus on AI? Indeed we are. I think the biggest shift is that with AI, uh, everyone thinks that it should be controlled, that it should be regulated. Uh, people's views maybe differ on the, the amount of control or the amount of regulation. I mean, you, you famously have the, the, the boomers and the doomers, um, as they were referred in, in this recent scandal uh, regarding the schism in, in the leadership at OpenAI. So 
you know, obviously the, the, the boomers being the people who think AI will, will lead us to a brighter future and, and it should, we, we should just embrace it and, and move, move faster towards artificial general intelligence even. And then the doomers being say, saying, look, AI can actually pose a threat to humanity. So let's, let's take it slow. Let's control it. However, I would say even the most ardent boomers think or, or agree that it, it matters what data you feed the AI models and, and that it is better to have transparency into what the models are doing, how they generate the output than to have opaque systems. <laughs> like I said, even if you don't like regulation, you, you, you would probably agree with that. So all of this basically means, you know, everyone agrees that AI governance is good. Um, a few years back, we were having conversations with large organizations trying to explain to them what data governance even was. And, and frankly, the word governance uh, had a bit of a yawn-inducing quality to, to it, right, connotation. Uh, and these days, we get organizations coming to us and, and saying, we need to roll out AI governance. Can you help? And we say, sure, let, let's start with the basics. Do you have a data governance structure in place? AI governance is nothing more than a subset of data governance. So all the best practices from data governance apply to AI governance. Do you understand what uh, what your organization is doing with AI? Are all of these AI use cases documented? Can you explain which data you are using to train the foundational AI models, um, if you have any? Or, or uh, what is the inference data used for fine-tuning? Can you point to the, the, the output of the models? Um, is it clear how that output is used? Do you have a view of the data pedigree, uh, as I would call it, <laughs> the, the, which means it, it's lineage, it's quality, it's ownership. So all of those things, what about access controls, masking, uh, policies that, that are applicable and, and so on? So, so good, good governance questions that are, are not new, but now they get a lot more visibility uh, due to the huge focus on AI. AI. And, and in fact, at Calibra, we, we put in place an AI governance framework that we have been using ourselves for our own AI products that we're rolling out. And, and we're also providing it to our customers. So it, it's a four step continuous process that we, we that we use to govern AI across its cycle. And it goes something a bit like this. So it goes, you have to define the use case. Um, and by that, we mean you capture ideas from the business, you assess the feasibility, you define the AI use case, including what data you will use, what models are going to be leveraged, what's the intended purpose. Then you set the desired business outcomes. Very important to actually understand why you're, you're, you're going into this. Uh, you set some KPIs, you assess the risks, you assign ownership, accountability, and you start identifying and understanding the data. So step number two is you collect all the data that, that's available. You understand if, it, if it's high quality, if it's certified. Very importantly, whether its use in connection with the use case is actually legally permissible. Very important. Then you document the models, you document the results, uh, you trace and track the model, the associated data products. You, you will allow for model analysis and reporting. And then finally, to wrap it all up, you run the verification monitoring. So you verify the model, you continuously monitor it to ensure the quality, uh, you ensure the compliance and uh, of the underlying data products, and then you retrain you test, audit your models regularly. With all that modeling and, and, and that framework, how are people handling the ethics of AI? <sighs> a good one. Um, I would say for me, the, the great thing is that people are actually bringing up ethics on a regular basis now. 
um, when the AI subject comes along. So, well, of course, my data set in quotes is made up of, of mainly large organizations across every industry vertical. Um, however, I'm, I'm sure it translates into into the small and medium enterprise level as well. So firms are hiring data and ethics advisors, uh, and those that have been doing this for a while are actually gaining prominence. So there are several types of, of ethical risks from AI, and in particular from, from generative AI. Now, I won't pretend I have an exhaustive list, but I can mention a few maybe like, like copyright infringement or IP infringement. For example, when, when a foundational generative AI model is trained on publicly available data that also happens to be copyright protected. So that can expose the organization to litigation. Another famous one, or maybe I should say infamous, is, is ethic, um, in terms of ethical risk is, is fraud. The various types of online scams uh, like phishing that can become increasingly convincing with the use of, of deep fakes, of, of biometric cloning uh, and things like that. And another big one for corporations uh, that expose their Gen AI models publicly or, or even internally uh, is a difficulty that the model will guarantee to reflect the cultural values and corporate norms of the organization. So you, you can't guarantee that. I mean, it, it's very difficult to make sure that the way the model be, will behave will actually align with how, what your values are. So the key thing is, is that all these risks come from the combination of, of data plus AI models. There's no inherent risk on data. There's no inherent risk on an AI model. There is a risk when you combine them. So to mitigate that, you need to understand that your, both your data and your AI models. And, and then to understand them, you need a, a strong team. Um, so AI governance is the team sport. Within, within our own company, for example, we have set up an AI governance roundtable, uh, which brings together the CDO, the CISO, so Chief Informa uh, Information Security Officer, the Ethics Chief, Head of Legal, Privacy, uh, HR, and, and business stakeholders. So maybe these will not be the exact titles in everyone's organization, but I think it's important to make sure you know who should be involved and, and to get them involved from the start. Because different groups uh, of people will have different perspectives and they can provide valuable insight into into the AI governance program and contribute to ethics handling. That's a lot. And that's a really helpful answer, actually, about who, who can contribute and, and how people are, are handling it. Stepping back from the exciting and, and fresh world of AI for a moment and coming back to the, the kind of basics, certainly basics for a lot of law firms, is that self-serve or democratizing data is still that foundational piece that everyone's aspiring to. How can a platform like Calibra help them with this? Well, um, I would say maybe I use a story here, like a quick example. Um, so one of one of the top ten uh, law firms globally is using Calibra to create a central data environment. So they want to ensure uh, that the firm has data interoperability and, it, and and maintains data integrity. So what Calibra does for them is it provides a single system of engagement around data. And and what makes us stand out is the flexibility and the layering ability of the platform. So it allows everyone across the enterprise to get the context around the data that they're looking for, but it's the context that's relevant to them. So starting from the highest level, business users, maybe think uh, CFO, CDO, uh, they can see an abstracted high-level view, and then you can go all the way to uh, business analysts, data engineers, 
who can dive into the technical detail. So everyone can log into the single pane of glass, then they can find the relevant information, understand the meaning of data, make informed decisions. But uh, the, the level of detail uh, will be very finely tuned to, to the persona that is, that is uh, using the platform. That's interesting. I think it'd be also helpful to, to understand kind of how Calibra is using its own tool to help govern and manage its own data. Yes. No, I mean, we, we actually are, right? So, so one thing I would say is just because we're a company that, that produces and sells data governance and data intelligence software, it wasn't much easier for us to uh, to start governing data. We put in place our own data governance program and we started using our own instance of, of Calibra for that purpose about five, six years ago. And we have learned a lot in the process. We have matured internally uh, the same way our customers are maturing themselves once they start on this uh, data intelligence journey. And, and very importantly, it's a journey, right? It's not you flick a switch and you're there. Uh, never, right? So um, so currently our, our product team is using our tool, our engineering team, our professional services, uh, our marketing team. Definitely my team as well, the, the solutions engineering team. Uh, our legal team uh, is a key user of the platform as well. In fact, I'm very proud to say our head of legal, I, I saw uh, her demoing how she uses the um, AI risk assessments feature of the platform recently, right? So I was like, well, look, I mean, you know you, you've, you've achieved maturity when, when the head of legal can just quickly log in show look this is how we run an, uh this is our ai use case register this is uh how we run a risk assessment for any new ai use case this is the library of everything we, we have everything that's coming down the pipe and and the risk for each of them it's it's part of building that culture and it's part of build, building the data literacy we're still on that journey like i say it, it never it's a never-ending thing but i would say to anyone who, who's just starting it's not going to be easy but if you approach it in the right way, uh, with an open mind, it, it, it's definitely it, it can bring a lot of value. That that's brilliant to hear. I want to pick up on the the story you told about working with a with a law firm. Are are you and your colleagues seeing an increase in law firm usage of Calibra? Yes, uh, we, we we indeed we are. It's a pattern that we've seen before in other industries as well. Um, so the larger more mature enterprises, uh, maybe they start a trend, and in a few years it becomes a de facto standard approach to data. To give you an example, maybe a bit more detail on on, on what I was talking earlier. So uh, this very large law firm uh, came to us a couple of years ago, uh, and their biggest challenge with their data was um, they were being set up as an LLP, uh, Limited Liability Partnership. And this, in effect, meant a lot of fragmentation. There were smaller groups of people sharing data within within their small group, a lot of silos, uh, a lot of duplication, uh, redundancy. And when we first started talking, the firm couldn't consistently answer the question, how many partners do we have? How many employees? Partners, uh, as they called them. And their strategic goal was to achieve this one firm, one data position. And the first step towards a strategy was to identify the existing data at the firm. So what they did is they, they looked at the market for data governance and data cataloging software vendors. Uh, they, you know, they took the Gartner um, uh, Magic Quadrant and they selected, you know, after a thorough evaluation, they selected Calibra uh, as their data catalog with a view to drive systemic data governance under the 
the newly set up data office, um, you know, with their global uh, chief data officer. So they had a few specific needs uh, from their data catalog, which, uh, which in the meanwhile, by talking to other law firms, I, I came to understand are not not dissimilar to uh, to a lot of law firms out there. So first of all, they needed a mechanism for capturing important metadata describing ownership, intended meaning, completeness, accuracy, timelessness of data, or, or other of, of the most important data assets of the organization. And, and they wanted a hub uh, that that will be uh, a place to, to exchange and synchronize all this, this metadata to create a, an enterprise data management platform. And very importantly, in their initial conversation with us, they, they specifically stated that uh, these uh, enterprise data management capabilities will allow the organization, and I quote, to manage data with the same rigor as money. So they actually used that that analogy themselves, and and that's that you know that that was a, a very good, very strong sign that they 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 were taking it very seriously. So in terms of the benefits that they uh, that they got from from the Cleaver implementation, and again this is what I heard other law firms uh, talk about. I would mention so their analysts and and business users are, are now able to to query uh, where did this data come from, like that that pedigrees, I was mentioning that lineage uh, of the data, um, they have an automated discovery of, of metadata. So that means they're less uh, reliant on tribal knowledge, uh, the, the various SMEs, uh, the wisdom, uh, the tribal wisdom, as it were. They've reduced their risk. Um, so they created clear documentation of data origin, that the chain of custody, uh, ownership, responsibility, so all of that in a, in a single platform, and then improve data quality. So a clear understanding of meaning, uh, visibility of all data quality measures. Um, so it's much simpler to determine uh, fitness for purpose for a particular data set. And, and maybe I would also mention cost avoidance. So uh, running impact analysis uh, is a much faster process when you have a data catalog with lineage. Uh, so there are reduced costs associated with, with researching the impact of, of data changes or introducing new systems or new processes, right? You can very easily understand again through lineage mainly what is the impact down uh, down the line downstream so yeah i, I think uh, definitely a, an increase in in law firm usage for, and and i see these themes coming again and again so i know with with kind of banks and, and insurers heavily regulated market it was gdpr and all the other regulations that, that kind of drove their adoption of, of tools like this is is there anything that you can share about what's driving law firms to adopt data catalog tools like uh, data management tools like Calibra at the moment, or is is there not really a theme there? Um, well, I would say um, first of all, I, I would call maybe a, a more mature approach to data. So that's that's the key driver. Uh, so law firms are now hiring CDOs, uh, chief data officers. That's usually a great sign of maturity, uh, or at least of best intentions with regards to data. So CDOs themselves have a lot of exposure. Um, I think people who are CDOs today usually have, have been operating uh, in the space for for a few good years. And, and the CDO role is in such a high demand that as a CDO, you probably have had experience across three or four industry verticals in their career so far. So, so they're bringing all those learnings and best practices they've developed, they bring with them. And then uh, we see uh, 
that now being being adopted and and, and it permeates into the uh, the law firm the, the law space as well. Um, so CDOs come with a with a clear remit, a clear mission. Uh, and I've seen in the past we were talking maybe to IT architects, and now it's more specialized data architects or or heads of data, even governance teams. I mean, um, when a law firm decides to invest in setting up a a data governance team, it's a clear sign they're looking to take data seriously. They're looking to modernize their approach to to data. That's brilliant. Cheers. This has been an amazing conversation, but I'm going to ask you for your your final thoughts on data challenges or, or opportunities for, for law firms. <sighs> well, uh, I think law firms are starting to to think about data as a competitive advantage. There are quite a few law firms that are tech savvy, I would say, but being tech savvy and being data savvy are still two different things. So law firms are, are looking at are already looking at improving their data processing speed, uh, using AI to populate contracts, for example, with, with boilerplate clauses, providing greater transparency for billing uh, for you know legal services, uh, reducing the risk. Um, reducing the risk of errors, uh, moving away from paper-based systems uh, of data storage. So they are used to grow organically. Um, they they used to maybe do quite well without worrying, having to worry about data. Uh, however, at the current scale, is talking about maybe the bigger ones as well. They have accumulated a lot of good data, and and they need a ways to speed up. Um, so all that, you know, those those stack of stacks of paper or that. Uh, data that we say we'll use it one day uh, and it never got used well that one day is is now uh, so the lowest hanging fruit um, is visibility so identify the data you have break all the little silos in the organization reveal the trove of data out there be it i know matter data pricing data employee or partner data various kpis that are used across the business so expose that Curate it, make it easy to find and relate to, attach context to it. Uh, the more business context data has, the more useful it becomes. And, and the more visibility everyone in the organization gets, in other words, the more democratized uh, data is, the more chances of, of new use cases will emerge and the more value will be created. So, so the key here is, is curation uh, or what I would call the trust building. So, it's one thing to know that we have this this data and that data, and another thing to to be able to say we can make crucial business decisions based on this data. And then the question to ask once you have identified all of your data is is do you trust your data? So if the answer is less than a resounding yes, how can you make it trusted? Put in place governance structures, um, put in place guardrails, the the curation, the um, the certification required to ensure that the best data sets bubble up to the surface. Do you have data policies in place? If yes, are they clear? Are they easy to use? Uh, create data policies if you don't, or, or update your existing ones if you do. Make them clear, simple, easy to administer, easy to standardize. And once you have identified all of your data, you've put good policies in place around its usage, you started curating it, then you can start automating that process. And then the greatest opportunity is, is getting to the trusted data, which is the most valuable data. 
that's a, a brilliant final thought to to end on. Uh, thank you so much for joining this episode. Thank you very much, CJ. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me for this Law Firm Data Governance podcast episode. I hope you found that conversation with Tudor as interesting as I did. It was great to hear about how Calibra helps customers do more with trusted data and their approach to treating data as an asset. It was also really good to hear about data as a competitive advantage and that crossover from data governance and AI and AI ethics and and how Tudor thinks that's going and, and how that's all working was really exciting. I think hearing a little bit more about what they see as the benefits a law firm gets from having a tool like theirs and having data governance in place and what data governance can do for them was also really helpful. If you like this episode, please share, like and review it so that more law firm leaders can learn about data governance and how to manage data in law firms effectively. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of this season's data conversations with law firm thought leaders. Head over to ironcarrot.com to get in touch with your questions and ideas for future episodes.